this week's edition of the Sportsaholic Podcast. It's a later one here, Sean Conway. We're doing a later show than we normally do. It's 7.45 here, Chicago time, and uh, February 13th. It's a cold one up here. I actually fell on some ice this uh, morning. It has not been my week. As you can probably hear me right now, uh, I have had a cold, a cough, the flu this week. I've fallen on some ice this week. It's over, though. I don't have to do parent-teacher conferences tomorrow, so uh, my week's finished. I do have a four-day weekend, so I guess that is the blessing of this uh, so far uh, unfortunate week. What's new with you? Not too much, you know. I got some uh, some news pending. I'm going to hold it off so I don't jinx anything, but cool. stay tuned for some juicy news, hopefully, here in the next couple of weeks on uh, just, you know, everyday life for me. Just like, uh, just like it was cold up there for you, it was cold down here today. I was taking a lot of pictures of cars today at work, and they were making fun of me because I wore my, my Aaron sweater from Ireland. It's like those those uh, wool knitted yeah. sweaters that like fishermen wear, and it was supposed to keep me warm, but it was so cold. I mean, I had to actually have, have to put another jacket on and a winter hat. It was just, oh, my God. It was bone chilling. That's how cold it was today, but probably a little bit colder up there. But anyways... You know, this last weekend we got to see some a new football league start off its uh its tenure, and it, it, I thought it was pretty exciting. But before we get to the XFL returning, I figured we'd make a a slight mention of uh, of Philip Rivers and the Los Angeles Chargers parting way. Rivers yeah, right. has been part of the organization for 16 years, and honestly, I mean, with Rivers gone, I feel like half of the fan base is gone now with his wife and kid moving. <laughs> Uh, that's a good point. Uh, you know, I, you know, Philip Rivers. He's had an interesting tenure. He's never made it past an AFC Championship game. The only time he got there was back in two thousand seven. Sean, uh, he's the active leader in touchdowns for, or I should say, he has the most touchdowns ever thrown by a quarterback who's never reached the Super Bowl with three hundred ninety-seven. We'll get to a little bit of that uh, later. But it, you know, I thought it was about time for my thought on Rivers here. I would like to see him retire. I'd like to see him go out like Eli Manning. Look, the two guys were traded for each other. They played their whole careers with one team. I'd like to see him retire. Rivers did though say the other day, Sean, that uh, he would like to play, but maximum two more seasons so if he was to go somewhere my quick speculation on this would be the Tennessee Titans would probably be the only uh, team to make sense if they move on from Tannehill and if they don't go after Tom Brady because I would think those would be their two first guys but if not I would think that they would look at a guy like Rivers but other than that I'd like to see him retire like uh, Eli did yeah you know and it's always been he's always been like on the cusp of being an elite quarterback or just being, you know, mediocre. I mean, I, I always, you know, it's always something you have to look out for when you're playing against Rivers. Is, is it going to be a good Rivers day or is it going to be a day where you eat him up? And right. It's been a long long career for him. He's been with the Chargers, what, 16 years, did I say? 16, yeah. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see if he plays again. I honestly, I think it's time for him to, to hang up the cleats. It's, I mean, there's no reason that at, at his age to want to continue. I mean, Tom Brady is, he's an anomaly with, with, playing how old he is but I don't I don't I don't I don't don't think he should you know I just you know go and you know tend to your army of children (laughs) exactly go to your army of children go do something else I think he could stay around two more more kids and he can field the team 
Hey, you know what? There's always broadcasting. It seems like all these quarterbacks <laughs> are going into broadcasting or doing something like that. Anyways, let's get into the real action of the week. But best of luck uh, to Philip Rivers, whatever he may do going forward. XFL, Sean, like you said, it was a lot of fun. A lot of these games are kind of fast-paced, it seems like. That's kind of why I like it. Uh, the Seattle Dragons took on the D.C. Defenders. The Defenders would be the victors here, 31-19. The L.A. Wildcats would lose by 20 points to the Houston Roughnecks in the 37-17 contest. The St. Louis Battlehawks edged the Dallas Renegades 15-9, and the New York Guardians took down the Tampa Bay Vipers 23-3. Your leaders for this week, Sean, were P.J. Walker of Houston. He had 272 yards passing, as well as four passing touchdowns. Matt Jones for St. Louis had 85 yards rushing, which would lead the ladder. And Dan Williams from Tampa Bay, the wide receiver, had 123 yards, again, the most for week one. Uh, what I really saw, Sean, in week one real quick uh, was the TV ratings. I thought this was oh, really, yeah. really interesting. St. Louis, by the way, I mean, we all mm-hmm. know they lost the Rams to L.A. a few years ago. They really wanted football back. And 7.4% of St. Louis homes viewed mm-hmm. the XFL. But here's the best part is this whole year for the Stanley Cup Blues, you know, champion Blues who, you know, got their first Stanley Cup, you know, this past season. Mm -hmm. They're only getting 4.8% of the viewership there, which is absolute insane. 2.5 million viewers uh, watch the Battle Hawks take on Dallas. And I'll just give you this one last stat here, Sean. That was uh, pretty close to the Duke versus North Carolina men's basketball game, which averaged 2.67 million viewers. So to have that huge, long rivalry of Duke-UNC get 2.67, but the first time the Battlehawks and the Renegades take for the XFL at 2.5, insane. Uh, Last thing, the Vipers and New York Guardians game. The Vipers had a fan uh, actually stripped to his boxer briefs. Uh, so I thought that was fun. There I thought go. that might be, yeah. I was like, man, he stripped to his underwear. He actually had a successful run. That's why I bring it up. Uh, ultimately, the police did detain him. But I thought that was pretty fun. What did you see from the XFL? Well, before I get to the handful of things that I thought were pretty interesting, uh, we were talking about the ratings there. And this is something I thought was pretty interesting, too. So the D.C. Defenders had 17,163 people show up to their game in person. Okay. And that's a pretty good showing, I, I would say, for a you know a first-time, first event for a, a team. Their tickets, more expensive than the Washington Redskins. The Washington Redskins' upper-level seats <laughs> last season were only $4. Meanwhile, the cheapest ticket you can get for the Defenders, $24 to $170. Wow, that is a true that is a truly insane statistic. Yeah, so I thought that was pretty interesting. What I like about the league, you know, there's a lot of different rules. There's no the the kickoff is completely different. It's supposed to cut down on the uh, the severity and the dangerous uh, atmosphere that comes with the kickoffs and punts and everything. There's no extra point kicks. It's all different amount of plays. You can get a one point, two point, three point, depending on how it's scored and how far out it is. So I thought that was pretty interesting. But my number one takeaway was a pretty interesting graphic I saw, which 
showed that the XFL Week 1 had multiple F-bombs on national television, <laughs> on-field projectile vomiting, oh, replay God. officials using Xbox controllers, <laughs> fans in the stands eating rally cheese, no rally stupid cheese. penalty flags, a drunk streaker like you mentioned, <laughs> yeah. post-game shotguns of hard seltzer, Oof. and that doesn't even include the football. <laughs> exactly. This is why I'm already liking this league. It's Vince McMahon, I believe, who's behind it. It seems yep. like he's always got something up his sleeve, Sean. And oh man, I didn't know that that the the referees were using Xbox controllers for the so replay. So funny. <laughs> That's, That's great. They can go back and forth real quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Remember, like growing up, when you're like going to replay the play you just did on Madden, and you're like, oh, watch this, and you go back, and you go forward, you go back. Oh, that's too funny. Anyways, <laughs> let's take a quick break here on the Sportsaholics podcast. And the flip side of this, we're going to talk all things NBA and NHL. Taking us to break, as always, is Jason James with his song, Danny Be Cool. You're listening to the Sportsaholics podcast with Max Zucker and Sean Conway. back that was danny be cool by jason james always appreciate his musical contributions on the show anyways let's flip the script over to nba action yes and it's been uh it was a wild week last week we we teased some of the uh the deals that happened heading into the trade deadline but the biggest one happening after our show last week i believe it actually happened the the following day on the final day of the trade deadline where minnesota and Golden State came together for possibly the biggest deal of the deadline. Golden State sending D'Angelo Russell to Minnesota for Andrew Wiggins. 
They got a protect. Oh, also sending a protected 2021 first round pick as well as a 2021 second round pick. The Wolves also getting Jacob Evans and Omari Spellman. Russell, I think he's going to pair nicely with Carl Anthony Towns. They're already good friends. The Wolves really needed a point guard to pair with Towns. And honestly, I think it's I think it's it's a great move. Both teams really needed these kind of pieces and it's uh it'll be interesting to see how the rest of the season plays out for both clubs. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, also switching uniforms here in a three-team deal here, Sean, would be Marcus Morris moving on from the Knicks to the Clippers. The Clippers also got Isaiah Thomas, who was waived. Uh, they got him from the Wizards. Going to the Wizards is uh, guard Jerome Robertson. The Knicks received Mo Harkless, a 2021 first-round pick, and the rights to the Wizards, Isaf Sinan. Uh, so that's what that is. But the bigger part here, obviously, is Morris. Morris averaging 19.6 points a game with five and a half boards. He actually had 10 points in his uh, debut with the Clippers. The most important thing about this trade is, though, uh, besides getting another good score for the Clippers, they took him away from the Lakers, Sean. That was the more important projectile as the Lakers were also uh, high bidding here. But Clippers outbid the Lakers here to get Morris and the Heat, they originally tried for Danilo Gallinari, but that did not work. And they brought in uh, Andre Iguodala and Jay Crowder and Solomon Hill. The Grizzlies got Justin Winslow, Dion Waiters. Justice Winslow. Justice, yes. Justice Winslow, Dion Waiters, and James Johnson in return for that deal. I really love this deal though, Sean, for the Heat. They've already extended Iguodala to a two year, $30 million deal. And I think mm -hmm. this is perfect. He has yet to really play, except for the three games he's played with the Heat. He did not play with the uh, Grizzlies all the way through to the trade deadline, but that's all right. He's a great player. He's got 145 games in the playoffs. That's really why the Heat brought him in. He's a five-time NBA Finals appearance with Golden State, and he's a three-time champion. When you have those championships, that, that's you know that's what the Heat are trying to accumulate here. You got some good players around there, adding a veteran here like I. Andre made all the sense in the world. I agree. And also, you mentioned James Johnson going to the Grizzlies. Well, Memphis actually traded Johnson to Minnesota for Gorky Jang. And that was uh, kind of what completed the three-team deal there. Um, and that's kind of was, you know, the other big move that we had uh, at the trade deadline. Now, the big news in the NBA is the NBA All-Star Weekend, which is rapidly approaching. We have got... Team Giannis Antetokounmpo versus Team LeBron James going head-to-head -head Sunday at 7 p.m. on TNT. But first, we got all the fun and action on Saturday, with that being the skills competition, the dunk contest, and the three-point challenge, which all begin at 8 p.m. on TNT. Excuse me, I was burped there when I was saying TNT. So, that's all we really had for basketball, but let's change up the pace to the slick stuff, go on to... Some NHL news. Connor McDavid, the star center for the Edmonton Oilers, is out two to three weeks with a quad injury. That didn't really slow down the Oilers, though, versus the Blackhawks the other night on Tuesday when the Oilers just beat him down five to three. Uh, and there's a handful of other injuries going on in the league right now. 
Did you have one to talk about, Matt? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Pittsburgh rookie defenseman John Marino, he's going to miss three to six weeks, Sean, after having surgery to replace facial bone fractures. Uh, Marino, he's only 22. He's played in 51 games this year. He has five goals with 25 points and is averaging just over 20 minutes in ice time per game. His point total is eighth among all rookies, and his uh, time on ice is third for rookies, so that's pretty impressive. Uh, Hopefully he'll get back on the three-week side instead of the six-week side. Also for the Pittsburgh uh, Penguins, they've... They've been making a few moves themselves. It seems like they're always in trade action. And they have traded for Jason Zucker. Not Zucker, but Zucker. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> I know I had to take this story when I saw that. Uh, Zucker's had a nice nice career. He's spent his whole nine years with Minnesota. They took him in the second round of the draft. He's on the second year of a five-year deal. He currently has 14 goals and 15 assists this season. He's a solid left winger for uh, the Penguins to add here, Sean. And the Minnesota Wild, it was probably about time to give him up. And they got some good pieces for him. And Alex Galchenyuk, defenseman uh, Kalen Addison. And they also got a 2020 conditional first-round pick in the deal. Yeah, yeah. And one more injury for us to report on before we send it to break. The Columbus Blue Jackets defenseman Seth Jones will be out for 8 to 10 weeks. Jones breaking bones in his ankle. See what I did? (laughs) Nothing, uh, you know, not to joke about his injury. It's pretty serious. A fractured ankle. Yikes. And he had surgery for that the other day. He's expected to be out, like I said, 8 to 10 weeks. That injury happening in Saturday's loss to the Avalanche. Jones was leading the team in ice time and uh he was one of the one of the leading um team leaders in points as well i can't find his stat on there i forgot to write it down but he was one of the point leaders for the blue jackets so that'll definitely be a missed spot on the ice for the blue jackets anyways let's take it to break we're yeah a let's break here on the sportsaholics podcast on the flip side of this we're gonna talk all thing college hoops you listen to the Sports Hogs Podcast with Max Zucker and Sean Conway. We here on the Sports Hogs Podcast recognize those who have unique disabilities. One fun and fantastic way to showcase those talents is by joining your local Special Olympics squad. Through Special Olympics, you will learn to be part of a team, add additional skill sets, learn the true definition of sportsmanship, and most importantly, have some fun. So become an athlete, become a coach, become a volunteer. Be part of Special Olympics. We're back for another round on the Sportsaholics podcast. This time we're talking all things college hoops. One cool thing that I saw, let's start off the block on a cool note. Bobby Knight making his triumphant return to Assembly Hall for the first time in 20 years. And Hoosier Nation welcomed him back with open arms. It's been kind of, you know iffy on whether or not he was always iffy whether or not he would return because of how things yes. ended with them but they welcomed him back that it was it was a really cool moment to see especially with bobby knight his health is not doing so great right now he's he's getting in up there in age and it was cool to see him be able to make a, a return to a place that 
You know, he was so dominant and, you know, an effective coach for so long. Well, I mean, he was a vital part of, and, you know, I mean, he's, you know, of of Indiana basketball. He's one of the greatest players, you know, uh, coaches of all time in, you know, NCAA history. He's synonymous, is how I want to say it, with that, with that team. Uh, and it's sad because we all remember, Sean, in 2000, he was fired because they just didn't like his overall conduct, essentially. I'm like, but, you know, he brought you three uh, championships, and you're saying that he had a pattern of unacceptable behavior just because, what, he threw a chair 10 years ago? Yeah, that, that just only hit rail. Well, I mean, he didn't really exactly speak to his players the right way. A lot of coaches are getting in trouble right now. In the NHL and the NBA and all across the sports world, coaches are getting in trouble for that conduct. People aren't really, you know, people stopped agreeing with those harsh coaches. And, I mean, it's it's just uh, kind of what everything's gone to these days. But, honestly, I love it. I thought, you know, hard-ass Bobby Knight was right. one of the greatest coaches. And, it, it, I mean, it works, obviously. But, I, anyways, that all aside, I thought it was cool to have him come back. He got the crowd going with a defense chat and he even got into a, a little a little playful scuffle with Dickie Vitale <laughs> so I thought that was I thought that was pretty cool and uh, something I, I enjoyed watching this past yeah, week. Yeah, and he was there actually to celebrate the 40th uh, anniversary of Indiana's uh, 1980 Big Ten Championship and I think he needed to be there like you said he's getting up there uh, in age and his health has been somewhat of um, a concern, and if you think a few years ago, Sean, he missed the 40th anniversary of that 1976, the best college basketball team people consider ever, that 96, you know, IU team, and he missed that. He missed that 40th year anniversary because he still was feeling bitter towards, you know, the school for releasing him. But yeah, it's you know, I'm glad he came back to celebrate the 80 team. I think it was the right thing, like you said, all the fans, whether they were young fans. You know, college fans who were attending there, or old-time, you know, IU fans. Everyone there was synonymously uh, cheering on for Knight. I thought it was a great thing. And, you know, I know he, he's just a tough-nosed guy, and that's just, you know, that's where I'll leave it with him. But I, I always liked his tough-nosedness for whatever reason. I agree. I agree. You know, let's move, uh, let's move on to other college basketball news. Iowa State star guard Tyrese Halliburton will be out for the rest of the season with a fractured left wrist. And that is just tough news for a man who was, you know, widely considered to be a first-round pick this upcoming draft. Still has a very good chance of being selected in the first round. He's just that talented and a broken wrist. Heels, however, it sucks to, you know, have to sit out the rest of the year not being able to play with your team and show what you're worth, you know, and build your draft stock. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, he was projected to go in the first round. And speaking of first hair, uh, the Spartans, who were the preseason number one team, have dropped out of the ranking, Sean, completely. It's the first time mm-hmm. since 2013 and 2014 since the number one uh, preseason uh, seed has dropped out of the rankings. Kentucky actually did it twice that year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
you know, and all's going said, you know, they beat Illinois 70 to 69, number 22 Illinois 70 to 69 on Tuesday night. It really wasn't that convincing or that great of a win. Prior to that, they were on a three-game losing streak to Wisconsin, number 22 at the time, Penn State and uh, Michigan, their foes. They're 17 and 8 on the season with five conference losses, and that's the big one, the five conference losses. They do have a chance for redemption here, Sean. They uh, play Maryland on Saturday. In fact, they have two matchups against number nine Maryland. They have one more matchup versus 13 Penn State and a matchup versus 21, uh, number 21 Iowa. You need to obviously win these conference games. You can't have five, these five conference losses and be a top seed there. Uh, but, you know, you, you do have a little chance for redemption versus Maryland, Penn State, and Iowa uh, coming up here. I agree. So let's move on to what our game of the week is this week. West Virginia, pretty big week for them. Last night they played the number one, no, number three ranked, excuse me, Kansas Jayhawks, where they actually they led thirty to twenty four at the half, but would eventually fall fifty eight to forty nine to the Jayhawks. Not the biggest game they'll have this week, though, as like I said, number one, I, I got fumbled in my words there. They're playing at Baylor, number one Baylor on Saturday. Should be a pretty big game. I think their key guys for West Virginia would be Oscar Shubway and Derek Culver, who are just their their top scorers. They're both close to averaging double-doubles, with Shubway averaging 11.5 points and 9.1 rebounds, where Culver is just under 11 points average per game with just under 9 rebounds per game. And Shubway, actually, he's just a beast. He's a nine. He's a six foot nine forward, and he's got 28 blocks this season on his stat line so those are their key guys for west virginia the team has struggled in big 12 play so far this season especially with upsets and then lack of consistency however one thing they do have going for them heading into this game against baylor they are two and one in the last three games at baylor so if they can uh you know play well like they have in the last few years on the road there we'll see what happens but honestly, I have Baylor in this one. And you probably should, Sean, because, uh, look, they're just the team that's on fire. They've won 21 straight games. They're only uh, one win short of the Big 12 record from, uh, set by the 97 uh, Kansas team, which was obviously, was, uh, yeah, exactly, oh, wow. pretty impressive when we talk 97 Kansas. Only loss of the season, Sean, was to Washington. They lost 64 uh, 67 to 64. So it was only a three point loss. Again, 21 straight wins since that loss. They, they've been playing at a very high level. So they're on fire, and that's to me the their key. They just have a good immunity. And the reason why is they got great players, and this is my second point. Uh, they got three really good guards, and you know, Sean, the uh, strategy once you get towards tournament play into the actual tourney is if you can have three great guards on rotation they do they got jared butler who's leading the team with 15 points a game uh maceo teague uh right there at 14.4 points a game and uh donovan uh mitchell he's another great uh uh uh, guard exactly who's you know has a lot has had a lot of presence this year and don't forget about Freddie Gillespie he's the forward but he's averaging nine rebounds a game uh, this is to me just a very complete team there's a reason why this team is meshed so well they're doing it well again Mitchell like I said Davion Mitchell besides having the net 
Davion. I was like, Donovan yeah. Mitchell? He plays yeah, in that's what I meant to say, Davion Mitchell, <laughs> earlier. But, yeah, he also leads the team with 3.4 assists, Sean. So, I'm telling you, I'm, th- this to me is just a really, really good team. And, yes, I like West Virginia, too. But I do think at home, Baylor should, should pull the string by 10 points. I'm going to go 70-60. All right, I'm going 64-58 in favor of the Bears. We're going to take a quick break here on the Sportsaholics podcast. On the flip side of this, we're going to dive into baseball, Max's favorite sport. You're listening to the Sportsaholics podcast with Max Zucker and myself, Sean Conway. There are a few things Max or I like more than tossing back a few beers and watching the game. But don't worry, if you happen to miss the game, we've got your back. Tune in to the Sports Hawk Podcast with myself, Max Zucker, alongside Sean Conway, with new episodes available weekly on SoundCloud. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter to stay up to date with new shows and our occasional takes on things happening in the sports world throughout the week. Welcome back to the Sportsaholic Podcast, right here with Max Zucker and Sean Conway. Sean, the Red Sox, uh, well, are kind of getting a, their new manager. They have brought in their bench coach, Ron Renneke. They have placed the interim tag on him to be their next manager. So the investigation with the Red Sox is still currently undergoing, as most people well know. It's going to be going for the next few weeks into spring training here so obviously if they find something they'll remove that interim tag and look for someone else but if they don't find anything it looks like Renneke will be managing the Red Sox for 2020. Yep and the Boston Brass believes that uh, he you know has nothing to be worried about that he's innocent and wasn't involved in the sign stealing scandal with the Red Sox but we'll see. You never know who was involved, and it'll be interesting to see what the investigation turns around. However, exciting news. Pitchers and catchers reported to spring training starting yesterday. Nice. Meaning we're about a week away from some spring training baseball. I'm excited baseball's back. Nine days, it's exactly. Gonna to, it's going to be fun to watch, but... Until then, we still have some uh, scandal news to talk about. Yeah, unfortunately we do, Sean. But like you said, uh, over a week, just nine days, the 22nd. So next Saturday uh, will be the when the games start coming on. Let's get into some of the scandal stuff. It does seem like some of the Houston Astros players are remorseful. Sean, if you remember three or four weeks, your new boy, Dallas Keuchel, the White Sox, who was a member of this, was the first person to speak out and say, I'm sorry. Manager A.J. Hinch talked with Tom Verducci, who's a, a great baseball commentator, a good sports guy just in general. But he did a radio show uh, interview with him, and Hinch has apologized. And now we have three players or four players who uh, are apologizing in spring training already. Uh, the first one, Sean, being Marwin Gonzalez, who by the way, led the team in trash can bangs of all, if that's a statistic, yeah, that I could throw out there. He had over 150 trash can bangs throughout the season. He said, I'm here to tell you how I feel and just that I'm remorseful for everything about uh, that happened in 2017. And when he was asked about the legacy of the 2017, he quote-unquote said, hard to say, uh, Alex Bregman had this to say. He said, I'm really sorry about the choices that were made by my team, by the organization, and by me. I have learned from this, and I hope to regain the trust of baseball fans. Jose Altuve would further comment, saying, 
the whole Astros organization feels bad for what has happened in 2017. I especially feel remorse for the impact on our fans and the game of baseball. And one last quote here, Sean, before we break this down. Uh, Yuri Gurriel, the first baseman, said, No one put a gun to our head. It would be a lie to say that two people are responsible, end of quote. So what I see here, Sean, is that these players are expressing remorse, and I really like Yuri Gurriel's quote here. It'd be a lie to say that one or two people are responsible I at least appreciate these guys starting to own up to it, but Jesus, man, this just looks worse and worse, doesn't it? It really does. And you know, I was actually just telling you, I, I watched the movie Eight Men Out yesterday, just because all the scandal stuff going on and spring training getting uh, getting going, kind of get me in the mood for baseball. And obviously, as a White Sox fan, I'm gonna watch the you know one or of two films that mention the White Sox, <laughs> and uh, and honestly. It's it's upsetting, kind of. You see these players, they're remorseful. But nothing really happened to them. They, they didn't even get a slap on the wrist. They literally were, were gone. They're, they're gone, gone off scot-free. While players in, in that 1919 World Series who were throwing the World Series because they were getting underpaid by, by Charles Comiskey, you know, they're all they were all lifetime bans while these players are continuing to play. I'm sorry. I'm still of the opinion that if you had active participation in this, you should be put on the ineligible list. It's just it, it's it's infuriating for me still, and honestly, it's infuriating for other players in the league too, like uh, like former MLB pitcher Mike Bolsinger, who pitched for the the Toronto Blue Jays back in 2017, and now he's he's suing the Astros for essentially ending his career on using the sign stealing. Oh, my God. So, check this out, Sean. So, his last Major League appearance was on, again, he, you're right, he was pitching for the Blue Jays, too, at this time. It was on August 4th, 2017, in Houston, where the Astros tagged him for four runs on four hits and three walks in just one-third of an inning on 29 mm-hmm. pitches. By the way, that would be Bolsinger's last last appearance in the major leagues so he is now like you said suing the astros in three different lanes obviously he's suing for himself for the career ending but look at this sean he's also uh asking for the astros to forfeit the 31 million dollars they got in bonuses for winning the world series that year and he wants that 31 million dollars distributed to charities in the los angeles area focusing on bettering kids lives and he also wants to create a fund uh or an account for retired baseball players who need special uh or financial assistance I think the latter one on that is a nice thought, but you're not going to get anything from this lawsuit. It'll be very interesting, Sean, to see how far this civil suit goes. Because if he does make some type of win or some type of big claim, think about all the other pitchers that are going to start filing lawsuits left and right against this team. I agree. And you know what? They have every right to because they, they, got, they got gypped. And honestly, it's, it, it's infuriating. I think... Players should have been put on the exempt list. I feel like those coaches should have been put on the exempt list. Just like right. uh, like Yuri was saying, it doesn't take two people to run this. It was a team effort in the cheating scandal. They should be punished as a team. Right. I, I think you've said that. And, Sean, I think this is something, too. Depending on what 
I think you I think you've said a lot of great things here and I've really actually opened up my mind depending on what goes forward with the Red Sox investigation over the next let's say week or two maybe three tops I would hope it would be wrapped up by that but but depending what Major League Baseball does find they may reopen the Astros investigation and there may be harder penalties there may be players being put on exemplus or exactly salaries uh, or bonuses being, you know, being, you know, having to be retained. Um, again, we'll see what the Red Sox, whatever the Red Sox sighting is, uh, the final, uh, the final endings there. It's going to be very interested because they may have to reopen this, you know, these cases completely, which would suck. See, I just don't see that happening because of, you know, like double jeopardy. They're not going to try someone twice. They they gave them the exemption for their honest. Um, you know, I wouldn't say confessions, but they're honest, you know, statements that they gave on, you know, what happened, which also going back to the eight men out, they had three, three, uh, players come forward and tell them what was going on. And they still gave them all, put them on the exemplist. Even the ones who didn't even, you know, participate or didn't take any money like Buck Weaver. He didn't take right. any money, batted like 327 in the series, didn't commit a single error. And he was still you know, at, put on the exemplars for knowing it was going on. You know, I, I don't care. It, it, even if you knew it was going on, you were participating in the cheating. It's not going to happen, though. And it's real upsetting that, that Manfred would take the the easy way out of giving everyone, you know, the exemption. You're right. Case. I should have... The exemption, the, 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 sla- the slap on the wrist instead of putting him on the exemplars. Well, no, I was trying to say, too, when, when you were reopening that, exactly, you're right. The players gave the omission, and, and they were given the immunity from there. But if, depending on what they find with the Red Sox and how deep it goes, now that you're seeing how much deeper this Astro thing has gone since the original report, I'm just saying they might have, they may look back into it to retake the titles, to actually, to finally strip those titles. You're right. You're probably not, I probably am wrong when I say you're going to get a bunch of guys going on the exempt lift. You're right. That's probably a crack of SHI, you know, but um, there is that chance. I do think there's that little chance, that little window, if they really find something that daunting, that they might reopen it and vacate the titles. That would be the only thing I would think would make uh, appropriate sense true uh, going forward as well. Yeah, I agree. So let's change things up a little bit. I'm getting a little heated talking too much about the scandal. Yeah, right. Well, let's move over. This is something that's going to make you heated. The, uh, the new playoff proposal that Manfred uh, released it would expand the playoffs from five teams per league to seven. The best team, best the teams with the best records in the American League and the National League would get a first round bye, while the wild card round would be would have the two division winners and the top wild card spot hosting a three game series. So it wouldn't be back and forth for the for that. It would be a three game series all at the home advantage team rec- with, the, with, the, with the better record. record. Yeah. So honestly, I know you were pretty heated about this. I don't I don't see the big issue with it. I think it makes more baseball to watch. It makes more, you know, money for the franchise and league as well. And, you know, it's kind of following more of a format of the uh, of, of the NFL. 
I would say, for their playoff format. And honestly, I don't think it's that bad. I do, Sean, and I'm going to tell you, you're right. It's all about the money here. This is the only reason they're looking at this. Major League Baseball's television contract, Sean, uh, expires in 2022, which is when they're trying to implement these new playoff changes. I don't like it. This is the nice thing about baseball where, you know, half your league doesn't get into it because once you go from five to seven, you've taken your top third, literally because there's 15 teams in each league. You're taking the top third and putting them into the playoffs. To me, I'm good with that. I, I like the current format. I like that it's the top third. When you're making it the top seven, that essentially makes it the top half of every league. I don't like that. You know, base, and I know I'm a baseball, you know, traditionalist. Think about it. The World Series was originally, you know, set between the National League winner and the American League winner. Then they finally went to the top two seeds and did the championship round. And then obviously we know baseball expanded to the wild card and now to the wild card playoff game. I as a baseball fan, I'm good with it right where it sits. You have the top third of the league in. You have the top five best teams in your league compete. That, to me, is where it should be. This is exactly like you say. It's a ploy to make more money, and it's and to me, it's a damn shame because you're weakening, you're weakening to me, uh, uh, post, the postseason, not strengthening it here. Wild card game is as I, good as it gets. I'll have to disagree with that because, I, yes, there's more teams coming in, so you're going to have some teams that might not be deserving to go into the playoffs, but you see some magical things happen during October where, you know, imagine a 15 seed in the playoffs. Like, the, you know, they're the number 15 out of all the teams that made it both leagues. Imagine them making a run to the World Series. How incredible will that be? I think that adds another sense of, you know, excitement and, you know, like I just said, magic to the, to the, to the postseason. Imagine if you can get an underdog like that to go all the way instead of having, you know, the Yankees with all their, you know, home run slugging jackasses <laughs> or, you know, the Astros with their sign stealing asses. <laughs> and it, it'd be cool to see, you know, the Royals. I mean, I'm saying that as a Sox fan, it wouldn't be cool to see the Royals, but it'd be cool to see, I don't know, you know, the, what's a, what's a, what's a middle tier team I should throw in the playoffs. It would be cool to see the Marlins make the playoffs, but that's not going to happen. <laughs> they haven't made it since 2003. Uh, no, again... I'm, How'd that turn out for them? <laughs> yeah, they're really good, actually. World Series champs, if you recall. <laughs> they, they beat the Yankees. And how'd that turn out for you guys? Uh, I'm still struggling with this, uh, even 17 <laughs> years later. And don't get me wrong, I know all Cub fans say 2016 cares all, and it does when I look back. But man, when I have one moment in sports that I could any moment in sports that I could take back and it would not be the Cody Parkey double doing it would be the two errors that fucking excuse me that Alex Gonzalez had <laughs> in to the in in uh games uh what was that game six of the yeah NLCS yeah. that would have sent us to the World Series I'll always have more trouble with that anyways it it to me again it's Sean it, it's just it's too many teams and it takes away from the nostalgic part of baseball and some of that though is really too uh it seems like a lot of the nostalgic parts sean are being taken away um including into some of these rules here but let's get into the new rules for the 2020 season uh we knew this one was coming sean the three batter minimum obviously mm -hmm. when a starter or a relief pitcher comes into a game they must face a three batter minimum barring an injury of course uh, the rosters through August 31st in the postseason uh, will be uh, 
gone up from obviously 25 players to 26. Not that big of a deal for September rosters from September 1st till the end of the championship season. Uh, all clubs may carry 28 players on the active roster. In addition, clubs will be permitted to carry a maximum of 14 pitchers. There's now a new thing, Sean, called the two-way player designation. And two-way players are being uh, qualified as players who have at least 20 major league innings pitched and 20 major league games started either as a position player or designated hitter. This is essentially going to be, you know, for guys like Brandon McKay and uh, Shohei Otani, essentially. Position players pitching. This one I thought was really interesting, Sean. Any player may appear as a pitcher following the ninth inning of an extra inning game or in any game in which a team is losing or winning by more than six runs. Um, so that I thought was insane because obviously you could bring in a you know a third baseman to play pitcher anytime. Now you have this six run uh, you know plus minus on each side or extra innings thing to it. Uh, this one's real quick, Sean. The 26-man rule or the 26-player rule is now the 27th man or 27th player rule, hence because of the extra player, yada, yada. Uh, we talked about this last year. This was a 2019 rule change, but they're going to rechange it for 2020, and that's uh, the injured list reinstatements and option period for pitchers. Clubs will not be able to reinstate pitchers or two-way players from the injured list until 15 days has ellipsed from the original uh, placement date of the injury. Last year was only 10 games, now, or 10 days. Now it's 15 days. And the last one, Sean, and I really, really love this one reduction in challenge time. Managers will now only have 20 seconds to challenge a play in instead of 30. If you look at where the replay is, I thought the managers had way too much time and way too much uh, access to the video room. This, to me, is a nice 10-second clip of time. Anyway, sorry, those are, the, yeah, those are the rule changes for 2020, I should say. Did you see anything real quick or all good no, with I it? I think that's all. I think we are good to go. We're going to take a quick break here on the Sportsaholics podcast. On the flip side of this, we're going to go into Max Trivia, my drink of the week. We'll give you what to look forward to, as well as my fight corner and a few other things we missed. You're listening to the Sportsaholics Podcast with Max Zucker and Sean Conway. You can't buy a best friend. You can love them, walk them, pet them, and care for them, whether they want you to or not. You can take a picture or 50. You can fly to the moon, travel the world, or just stay in bed. You can't buy a best friend like that. But you can adopt one. There are millions of pets waiting for a best friend just like you. Help us save them all at bestfriends.org. Welcome back to the Sportsaholic Podcast. Here we go, Sean. We started talking about actually Philip Rivers to start the show, and I have a really interesting uh, statistic. Philip Rivers has 397 passing touchdowns, making him the quarterback with the most passing touchdowns without playing in a Super Bowl. Not winning, but with not even appearing in a Super Bowl. Who are the next three guys in line with the most passing touchdowns, but to never reach a Super Bowl? 
These are quarterbacks, obviously. Uh, Rivers, again, 397. The next guy on this list would be at 294, so 103 different. This okay. is, yeah, just to give you a little number here. Not Jay Cutler, is it? No, not Smoking Jay. Uh, he would have been up there, but no, not Smoking Jay. All right, what uh, what era? Is this uh, how about one guy from the '80s, one guy from the '90s, and this guy just retired maybe two or three seasons ago. Oh, okay, uh, Tony Romo. Ah, uh, man, he would have been number four or five on this list. Actually, oh, uh, think of another guy kind of like a Tony Romo. Uh, Alex Smith. No, uh, more of a oh, gunslinger. No, that's all right. More of a more of a a, a gun of a of a gunslinger. Sean would have taken the Arizona Cardinals. Let's see, Carson Palmer. Yeah, there you go. Thank you, Carson Palmer. That's one of those guys. He's the more current guy. This guy almost took the Jets to the Super Bowl in 1998. Sucked. <laughs> Is that Randall Cunningham? No, Jets, not uh, not uh, Eagles, Jets. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Otherwise, you, you keep missing these guys who are like 7, 8, 9, you know, on this list. Jeez. I'm not sure. Um, not Warren Moon. Yes, Warren Moon oh, would be wow. the guy... F- would be the guy from the 80s and, and early 90s. And this guy, again, was very late 80s to, I think he retired, Sean, maybe about 2004. Really, his only season was when, you know, he almost took to the Jets to the Super Bowl. Man, I don't know. Um... Yeah, I don't know. You gonna fold Go the towel? To me. Yeah, yeah, all right. Fold the, towel. fold the towel on this one. Mr. Vinny Testaverde with 275. So, again, the list of quarterbacks to have the most touchdowns thrown but yet to uh, ever appear in a Super Bowl. Obviously, starting with our boy Phillip Rivers. Then, like you said, Carson Palmer with 294. Moon, 291 touchdowns. And Vinny Testaverde, 275. Sean, what are you drinking on, sir? Well, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago I had brought a beer on that I had used to cook, and I've actually been cooking a lot with beer. It just kind of, you know, it's fun, and it, and it adds an extra flavor to it. Yes. I, uh, I made a Guinness beef stew on Sunday since it was, you know, winter, I guess you should say. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was a nice beef stew. I made an authentic Irish beef stew with it, and I used a Guinness foreign extra stout to complete this, and it it's a great beer. It's uh, it's a, it's a just like the extra stout, but it's kind of a little bit different. Um, seven point five percent ABV. Let me read the description they have on Beer Advocate. For an extra stout is brewed with generous hops and roasted barley for a bittersweet balance and full flavored natural bite. Developed for global export from Ireland, the addition of extra hops ensured that this stout would arrive in perfect condition. And it's enjoyed by millions around the world. Pretty interesting bottle. Looks kind of like a throwback because uh, it's it looks like the Guinness logo, but instead of having that that khaki beige color, it's more of a yellow one. So it kind of looks like an older uh, older style of the the logo. But it's cool. it's great. It's available year round, and uh, I, I enjoy drinking this as much as I enjoy cooking with it. 
Nice, Sean. That sounds good. You sent me some pictures of that stew that you uh, that you so uh, kindly made you and Lindsay that looked really good, uh, to say the least. The beer sounded tasty. Uh, what do you have for Fight Corner this week, sir? What, what's going on in, uh, in UCF? Fight Corner, man. It was a crazy weekend at for uh, for in the UFC for UFC 247. John Jones. Defeating Dominic Reyes by unanimous decision. That came with some controversy. As if you watch back the fight, Reyes really looked like he dominated him in the first three rounds. But kind of looked like he got gassed out in four and five. And that's why Jones, I think, got the, you know, the the nod in this one. However, Reyes looked dominant. I mean, he looked like he was just, you know, completely controlling the fight the first three rounds. And even Dana White said he had scored the uh, the fight three to two rounds wise for in favor of Reyes. Reyes taking his first loss of his career. John Jones extending his record even further. He's only got one loss on that record. I'm expecting a rematch to come almost immediately. I'm, I mean, I'm saying by by May, May or June, I would say they're gonna be back on a on a card together. Cool. So that was something that was fun. Something to look forward to this weekend is UFC Fight Night 167. That's in Rio Rancho, New Mexico. We got a rematch between Corey Anderson and Jan Blavich. Anderson won their first bout back in 2015 by decision. Blavich is coming in on a 2-1 2019. He was TKO'd by Thiago Santos and knocked out Luke Rockhold and won by decision against Ronaldo Souza back in November. It's going to be a fun week. You know, we've gotten even more fights to look forward to this month. It's a great month for fighting. But uh, before we get into what we look forward to next week, Max, what did we miss this week? Uh, this week in the NFL uh, on Wednesday, uh, Browns defensive end Miles Garrett has been uh, he's been reinstated. He's he's yep. back. Yeah, he's back. He's back with the, uh, with the Browns. He met with Roger Goodell late on Monday, and those two – Shook hands and figured it out, and he has been reinstated. We all remember that nasty, nasty fight where he ripped off the the head, uh, the uh, helmet of uh, the quarterback Mason, Mason Rudolph. Rudolph of the yeah of the yeah. Steelers. Yeah, and I thought he was going to get a little bit more, Sean. But again, Goodell is reinstating Miles Garrett. Something we missed out in the hockey world. This one was really scary, Sean. Jay Bowmeister of the St. Louis Blues uh, suffered cardiac episode and was unresponsive on the team bench, which actually had the Blues uh, postpone their game that night. Their uh, general manager, Doug Armstrong, though, did say this uh, this morning. He said, things are looking very positive. So that is obviously uh, what we want to hear on the Sportsaholic podcast. Best of luck, Jay Bowmeister, going uh, going forward. That is obviously terrible, terrible. Good for the Blues, too. They're offered uh, counseling for any of their players who need it after such a traumatic, traumatic thing to see with one of their teammates. So best of luck. Uh, Bo Meester going forward. And this one was a really weird one. We didn't get into our Major League Baseball block. And that's uh, Reese McGuire, who's been around with the Blue Jays for a little bit. He's expected to get some decent playing time this year until he uh, got, uh, well, 
got arrested there uh, for indecent exposure of Woo! all things. I was like, wow, what a way to start spring training. He uh, was very cooperative during the rest and did not deny the allegations. Apparently, he was, uh, well, jerking it in his car outside of a supermarket and was caught. That boy ain't right. What a weird thing to report here on the Sportsaholic podcast. But, yeah, yeah, that's the way that's the way we'll end it with uh, Reese McGuire being arrested for doing some dirty Dirty, dirty things outside of supermarket. Okay, then. What do we got next week? Yeah, exactly, Sean. What do we got next week now? <laughs> well, a bit cleaner news for next week. Uh, we got some more XFL and NFL news to look forward to. We're closing in on the end of the regular season for college hoops, so we're going to dive in to all the possibilities that could happen as we go into the conference tournaments or close in on those conference tournaments. Spring training right around the corner. Game one for the White Sox, at least, is next Saturday, the 22nd. I'm not sure when the Cubs start, but that's roughly when all the games start next week. So we'll have that to look forward to, as well as, you know, more Astros stuff. I know that uh, it's been, you know, a hot topic for us. Talk about a lot about the the Astros. But one thing I kind of wanted to mention was Brian McCann had actually asked Carlos Beltran multiple times on occasion to cut out the the uh the sign stealing antics and it kind of reminded me again of the eight men out uh movie that they're talking about it wasn't in the movie but actually they referred to the the ones who were involved in the scandal as the black socks the ones who kind of kept the clean slate were the clean socks and it's kind of <laughs> like that now uh, the clean astros versus the dirty astros so we'll have that to talk about more next week and uh you know there's outside of that we got deontay wilder tyson fury two that's going to be a good boxing match to talk about. we got some more to talk about. So, a lot to talk about next week, Max. I was going to say, that sounds like a lot of talking and a lot more talking. Yeah, we'll get into some more of that stuff about uh, Carlos Beltran. A lot of allegations have gone towards him. I'd like to see a little bit more of a spin before we put our own sport spin here on the Sportsaholic podcast. Again, thank you fans and listeners for bearing with me this week. As I know, I sounded a little bit uh, congested again as I've been going through the flu. So, Thank you for bearing with me, and as always, thank you to Jason James for providing your music. Weekly fans and listeners, again, we don't do this without you. Appreciate it as always. Sean Conway, much fun as always, week to week, doing the show with you, buddy. And until next week, I'm Max Zucker, and you've been listening to the Sportsaholic Podcast.